welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. So Sarah, we've all had our bad experiences at an airport, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. We all have. But few, if any, can claim to have a worse airport story than Maran Karimi Nasiri. Uh-oh. While attempting to visit the United Kingdom through a series of unfortunate events, Nasiri found himself stuck at Charles de Gaulle Airport in France, unable to leave for a very, very long time. His story has been shared worldwide in newspapers, magazines, documentaries, even a major Hollywood movie starring Tom Hanks ah! and directed by Steven Spielberg. Yay, Tom Hanks. Although it was largely, largely fictionalized. Yeah. I, well, to be fair, that name doesn't really seem like a character that would be played by Tom Hanks. It does not, right? Yeah. Um, many who have told his story portrayed as an innocent man caught in red tape stuck due to complicated bureaucracy and politics beyond his control. Mm -hmm. But the full story... Perhaps even the true story, if it can be unraveled, paints a more complicated picture. Okay. And I'll try my best to share that real story of Maran Karimi Nasiri with you today. Or, as he's also known, Sir Alfred Maran. Oh, okay. Now, some details of his past are hard to verify for reasons we'll discuss later on. Um, so, some of the information that I'll be giving you is information that uh, Nasiri provided in the beginning um, or that has been sort of determined. But some of these details may may adjust as we learn more. Okay. So Nasiri was born in Iran in 1945. He lived for a time in Tehran and his father was an Iranian doctor. He studied in England and returned to Iran in the 1970s. In 1977, he was involved in a protest against the Shah or king of, of Iran. This resulted in his arrest, torture, and being expelled from Yikes. Iran. I mean, frankly, if they're torturing you, you probably want to leave anyway. You would think so. Yeah. Moran searched for asylum in Europe for a long time and was finally granted refugee status by Belgium, which would allow him to move freely across any country that had signed the Geneva Convention. Oh, wow. At some point, he had been told that his mother... That the, that the mother that he had known in Iran was not his real mother. Oopsie poopsie. And that he was the product of an affair between his father and an English nurse. Oh. With this, he sought to travel to the UK again in 1988 to look for her. Mm -hmm. However, this move would prove to be the catalyst to his predicament. Oh, God. When he arrived at Heathrow Airport in the UK... He did not have his documents proving his refugee status or his passport. Why? We'll get to it. Uh, okay. Actually, we'll get to it right now. Oh, well, that's convenient. <laughs> he stated, this, this story is very complicated. Okay. Um, he stated that they had been stolen Ooh. at some point. Mm -hmm. So he was returned to France, back to the airport that he had flown out of, Charles de Gaulle. There, he settled on a red bench next to a cafe table right outside of Terminal 1. Because of his refugee status papers being stolen, uh, there was no way to verify his identity, so he wasn't allowed back into France either. Oh, my God. In fact, he had been arrested at least once for this very reason in that country. Oh. For essentially being an illegal immigrant, not, okay. having, not having his papers. Right. Right. 
So not being welcome in either country, he sat on this red bench while trying to figure out what to do next. So Terminal 1 was a pretty cozy place, all things considered. There were restaurants, including a McDonald's. There were stores, bathroom facilities, and a post office. (laughs) So as days turned to weeks, Nasiri would rely on the kindness of airport (sighs) employees at these restaurants or kind passers-by to provide him meals. Wow. And some people would even provide him some money, which he would use to to purchase basic necessities like toiletries. Mm Mm-hmm. At night, he would curl up on that red bench and use his jacket as a blanket. And he would use bathrooms early in the morning to shave and wash up. Wow. But then the weeks turned into months. And Nasiri's presence in the terminal was gaining more attention. Yeah. People would often see him sitting there reading his newspaper and smoking his pipe. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and when you see a picture of him, he's a pretty... He's a pretty... um, obvious he, he's he's a he's got a fa- the face of a character okay he's balding on top he's but he's got um longer black hair coming out the sides sure he's got a, a very dark big mustache big black eyes you know very distinct looking very distinct okay. absolutely um so people would see him sitting there and they would engage with him out of curiosity and he would tell his plight of being exiled from from Iran, um, abandoned and left in the airport as a stateless ghost Ooh. who all had wiped their hands of. Oh, I love that. So after Nasiri was arrested a second time in 1989, for um, the story that I saw was that he, he once again tried to fly into Heathrow. Try his luck again. So he tried to leave the airport and got arrested for it. He, he, yeah, he arrived and he didn't have his paper, so he was sent back to France again and was arrested <laughs> upon arriving, but without knowing where he was from or verifying his name, they just said, well, we can't really do anything, put you back in the airport. So, and I'm sure this is kind of explained later, but why couldn't he just get new papers? Like, if this is taking weeks and months, like, mm-hmm. why can't he get new papers? Well, we're getting there right now, actually. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, thank you. It's, I'm two for two. After this, uh, after this arrest, he contacted human rights lawyer Christian Bourgeau for help. Bourgeau would work on behalf of Nasiri to find a way to get him out of his dilemma, whether by finding his missing documents or getting Belgium to reissue his refugee documentation. However, Belgium was not able or willing to reissue his documents. Hmm. Bourgeois was also not able to locate the original papers either. And France was not able to issue Nasiri any type of temporary visa or worker status permit or anything like this because he had no identification. My God. So Nasiri was trapped on that red bench in Terminal 1 for the next 10 years. What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. Luckily, in addition to all the facilities of the airport, that could tend to almost every need. There was also the airport physician, Dr. Philip Bargain, who would monitor Nasiri's health and receive his mail that would come in from well-wishers all across the world. <laughs> oh, my God. Bargain would say that Nasiri was in good physical health, but he was worried about something else, the mental state of his mind. Yeah, do you think? He's been stuck in the airport for 10 years. Yeah. In 1995, Belgium offered to let Nasiri return to the country, 
but only on the condition that he was to live with a social worker. Oh. Nasiri declined that offer. Okay. Then in July of 1999... My God. Yeah. About 10 years, 11 Mm -hmm. years. uh, Bourgeau, who was still working on behalf of Nasiri this whole time, finally found his missing documents. Oh. But they were never missing. Excuse me. Before Nasiri had tried to fly into Heathrow in 1988, he had tried unsuccessfully to enter the UK by ferry. When he did this, he mailed his documents to Brussels. Oh, why? It's unclear why he did this. But the important thing is that they were found and Nasiri was now able to leave the airport and travel. My God. It was finally over. Except Nasiri thought that the papers were fake. I, now, I'm just got to say, I wouldn't give a shit <laughs> if they were written in crayon on the back of a Denny's kids menu. If they were getting me out of that damn airport, I'd be like, let's go, girls. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, this is where the story takes a very abrupt and unexpected turn. Uh-huh. So he thought the papers were fake. Now, why did he think that they were fake? Mm-hmm. The reason is because the papers said that his name was Maran Karimi Nasiri and that he was born in Iran. To better understand what happened, I watched a documentary from the year 2000 about his plight. In this documentary, Nasiri frequently asserts that he was not born in Iran. Okay. He was born in Sweden or Britain. Okay. And his name is not Maran Karimi Nasiri. It is Sir Alfred Maran. So he's not done well over the last 10 years, it sounds like. So he alleges that he received a letter from an inspector at Heathrow Airport addressed to Sir Maran Karimi Nasiri. And because it was an official letter from a member of the British government, it asserts him the title of Sir. Okay. And when he was questioned about how someone were to get the title of sir, Nasiri responded with, by virtue. Okay. That is how you get the title sir. All right. How and when he dropped Karimi Nasiri and added Alfred to his name is unclear. Mm -hmm. But he was so convinced of his new identity that he denied his birth name, his birthplace, and even refused to speak or acknowledge that he could speak or understand Farsi. Okay. All right. You know, he's been stuck in the airport for 10 years. I got stuck in an airport one time for four hours, and and, and I almost lost my shit. So I, I truly can't imagine the strain. Even when family members would come visit him, he would ignore them. Oh. Well, that's just rude. Whether that's due to... Uh, this interaction con- conflicting with his new identity or some other past family issues. It's also unclear. So the people working on the series case for the past decade and doing so for free were in shock. Uh-huh. Nasiri was free to go. He just had to accept his papers and he could leave the airport. He could go search for his mom. Mm-hmm. He could do anything kind. Well, you know, kind of. yeah, he could finally, uh, he could, yeah, mm-hmm. but he refused because he was no longer Nasiri. He was Sir Alfred, and Sir Alfred did not have papers. 
fuck off. It's kind of my feel at this point. Like, again, they're letting you out. Yeah. Don't question it. Just go. Yeah. By this point, Sir Alfred had become a bit of a minor celebrity. Ah. Attracting reporters and documentarians who wanted to see and hear from the man himself. Right. And as he was enjoying the attention, more people were looking closely into his past to try and coerce him to move on with his life. Uh-huh. Uh, it was revealed in an article by the um, in The Guardian by um, investigative reporter and filmmaker Paul, Paul Bergzeller that Nasiri had actually not been tortured by Iranian security forces <sighs> and he had not been deported. Mm-hmm. His incident after the protest appears to have only involved questioning and detainment for a few hours. That is very different. Bergzeller made a documentary in 2002 called Here to Wear, in which he thought with enough proof he could convince Sir Alfred to leave the airport. He even said, I'm hoping that the final shot of my film will be you walking out of the airport. Mm-hmm. But no matter how much proof of Mehran Nasiri's real life he presented, Sir Alfred brushed it aside. Okay. Even the truth of his real mother had always been questioned because his appearance is fully Iranian. Right. He has no English qualities about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how is he convinced that, um, that the mother who raised him was not his real mother? At some point in his ever-changing story, Sir Alfred claimed that his family had told him that he was born of an affair and disowned him, right? But his family told Berkzeller that this is not true. Uh His family never disowned him, and his mother never told him that he was not her son. And sadly, she passed away in the mid-90s, and it's not clear if Sir Alfred knew, even if he had been told. Right. His story had inspired a contemporary opera called Flight. <laughs> and in 2003, Steven Spielberg brought, bought the rights to Sir Alfred's life story for an undisclosed amount of money. But in the upper, um, the upper figures are nearly a quarter million dollars. Okay, not bad. Um, to direct the film, The Terminal. So in this film, Tom Hanks plays a character in a similar predicament. His home country had collapsed during his travels, rendering his passport invalid. Al-Kanadar. And making him, leaving him stuck at JFK International. Okay. But the film is a romantic comedy. It bears, honestly, no resemblance right. to Sir Alfred's life beside being stuck in an airport. Did he sit on a red bench at all? I don't think so. That's messed up. That's such an easy detail. And I think he even um, only was there for less than a year. Oh, come on. Yeah. I guess they didn't want to put old man makeup on tom hanks uh, first of all they wouldn't have had to put that much makeup on him even in 20 was it 2003 you said yeah also i just never pictured tom hanks as a quitter and i am very disappointed yeah mr hanks please get in touch well maybe uh catherine zeta jones didn't want to do um old age makeup because she was the love interest she looks the same now as she did in 2003. So, again, I don't think they would have needed to do that much. <laughs> I mean, that was 20 years ago. She looks the damn same. That's true. <laughs> they always look way worse in old age makeup than they really do in, in real life. Personally, felt that Chris Evans was convincing at the end of Endgame. I guess so. I guess they but, got better at it. Yeah. You look at Back to the Future. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty bad. terrible. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Anyway, the 
the movie didn't bear a lot of resemblance to Sir Alfred's life, but mm-hmm. he didn't care. He was excited about the movie. I would be too. You know? And as for that life-changing amount of money mm-hmm. that he got, well, apparently he just put it in a savings account that he had at the airport post office. <laughs> I mean, think how far a quarter million goes at the duty-free shop, though. I know, right? He's going to be balling. I don't think he was. But he could have been. I don't think think that money was ever spent. Could have got, like, some, like... Eiffel Tower sweatpants. Could have got a sweet yeah. neck pillow with like built-in speakers. Probably could have bought like a new iPod from one of those vending machines. Like, yeah, come on, man. Mm. He did not. Mm. He did, however, keep a copy of the poster, the film poster, on his luggage cart that he kept by his bench. Uh huh. Even though the way things were going, he probably would have never had a chance to see the movie. Yeah, not a lot of um, theaters. No, in the airport. So, but the film made him more popular than ever. But the media that was just learning about his predicament um, often misinterpreted the situation as an innocent man victimized by bureaucracy. Right. Not a man whose stubborn mental state would not allow him to leave his red bench. In 2005, Sir Alfred wrote and published his autobiography, Mm. The Terminal Man. But the book is out of print and very rare, demanding very high prices online. Uh, And I couldn't find a digital copy anywhere, so I couldn't read it for myself. So at this point, the question I had was this. Was Sir Alfred's mental capacity deteriorated so much that he truly believed that he was a Swedish-born man and that everyone was lying to him? Or did he deep down inside know the truth but refuse to admit it? Right. And if it was the latter... Was the reason he was denying it because he suffered some sort of Stockholm syndrome to the terminal that he made his home? Mm-hmm. Or had he become so attached and enamored by his fame, he didn't want to ruin it? I hesitate to say this because it does seem like there has to be like some mental illness at play here. But kind of the impression I'm getting is fame. Well, if he leaves the airport, oh, that'll be a big story. Oh, my God. He finally left the airport and then people will forget. Yeah. No one will follow him again. Yeah. Yeah. But there on that bench, he was Sir Alfred, an international celebrity, someone people wanted to meet, to talk to, to buy a meal for, sign an autograph. Mm -hmm. Outside, he was uh, Moran Nasiri again. Yeah. Nobody. Well, and I wonder, too, now that they have, like, found his papers and they were able to, to kind of debunk the story he'd given originally, would he still have been eligible for, like, the refugee status? Because you weren't kicked out in the first place. You were never a refugee. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I would imagine so, and I would think that might play into it as well. He's not wanting to leave because then... He has to go back to Iran. I don't think they ever went as far as to um, question his, like, you know, mm-hmm. rescind his refugee status or anything like that. But um, by July of 2006, Sir Alfred had been living in Terminal 1 for 18 years. Okay. But that month, Forces beyond his control would end his residency. Uh Uh-oh. 
An undisclosed health emergency was reported by Dr. Barjain, and Sir Alfred had to be relocated to a nearby hospital <gasps> where he would remain for the next few months. As I said, we don't know exactly what this health emergency was, but when he was finally discharged, he was taken in by a Paris-based humanitarian group. Yeah, I imagine he could not get back into the airport without buying a ticket. Well, I think that where he settled was um, was outside of uh, the ticket gates. Right. Like I don't. I, I was off. I was also wondering that. Like I was looking at it from an American perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if airports in France are the same they are here, or if they're a bit more like they were here before nine eleven. But I, I think most international airports are like that now but they didn't but but where he had settled had not changed um because he was he was sitting there before and after 9-11 right and he wasn't he didn't move right they didn't make him move right but i'm saying like so they take him completely out of the airport yeah to go to the hospital yeah well now he's not going to be able to come back into the airport and get to the red bench if it was at a terminal because that's past the ticketing gates yeah, but he but he had also like been arrested at the airport and then released back into the airport. Right. So so I don't think they would have released him back into a place that he could have like gotten access to pl- a plane or something. Um, all that to say, I'm not totally sure the mm-hmm. layout and security of Paris-based airports. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but but needless to say, yeah. He was taken in by essentially a homeless shelter mm-hmm. to be taken care of. Still in France. Yeah. Okay. His home at Terminal 1 was removed. And just as Sir Alfred had feared, once he left his iconic red bench, he became a nobody. Yeah. Reports after his leaving the airport are basic, basically non-existent. Called it. For 16 years, there would be no word of what became of Sir Alfred Moran outside of, you know, like a, like a sighting. Mm-hmm. People have seen him around Paris or whatever. Yeah. Things like that. But as far as like the the, the, the zeitgeist, the, the news mm-hmm. reports, all this, no need to report on him anymore. Right. Right. That is until November 12th, 2022. When it was reported that Maran Nasiri had died of natural causes. Mm. He was found at Charles de Gaulle. Apparently he had returned a couple of months earlier to live out his last days. Oh my God. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cool. So... If you ever hear the story of the man who inspired the movie, The Terminal, the slapstick comedy <laughs> starring Tom Hanks, uh, you'll probably come across a lot of art- articles and things about this man who's just stuck in red tape and trying to get either back to where he had come from or to the place he wanted to go and just couldn't because of all the rules and regulations. It's more to the story than that. Yikes. And that's the story as as I best know it. Well, so let me tell you what, guys. This is advice I have seen 
whether you are getting on a cruise ship, flying internationally, basically, if you're leaving your country of origin, obviously, you want to keep your passport on you. But make sure you also photocopy the page of your passport with your picture and your information and keep that in your locked luggage. So that way, if somebody like steals your purse or your backpack, you get pickpocketed, they take your passport, you've still got that copy of it that you know, any security agent in the world will be able to look up, verify it, see that it's you, and you won't get stuck in Charles de Gaulle Airport. So let that be your lesson today. Always have backup of your papers. That's some good advice. Thank you. Yeah. And my advice is, if you like this episode, (laughs) please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening. And if you have any suggestions or comments for us, you can send us an email at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, at fantastichpod. And we also have an Etsy store where we sell stickers for Fantastic History. And I hope you check it out. Until next week. Bye. Bye.